If I was writing the scriptures, I, some, I think I'd leave out some, of the, some parts. Uh, and I think I'd leave out the parts that are embarrassing for the disciples. But if I left out the parts that were embarrassing for the disciples, then we would be left with scriptures that point up to Jesus and look to Jesus and look to God and declare the goodness of God. But there would be a big gap between me and them. Because I would still believe the lie that says, well, for them it was different. They're not living here now and they're not like me. They were more spiritual. They were, more, they were with Jesus. They were present with him. So it was easier for them. But thank God, one of the most beautiful things about the scriptures and about his word is that he doesn't brush off the struggles and the journeys of his disciples and all human beings as they wrestle with God because everything is processed. And I don't think anybody can actually press in to know God and to know the love of God until they have actually seen a revelation of God's love for them. Because everything I can give God has to be a response, otherwise I'm just being religious. And I'm sure we all know what it's like to try to conjure up faith. To try to conjure up um, something that doesn't feel real inside. And there is a time for that because that's often a step of faith. But I'm I'm talking about... God desires most of all for us to know him in a way that just causes us to respond. And so part of our gatherings together in church, for instance, is building community to encourage each other, but also to learn how, how to be authentic. And we get that in the Psalms and we get that in this reading today, which is, you know the story well. And I, there are booklets that I, I, I thought I'd brought one up here. There are little booklets at the back there that we used one Good Friday Has somebody got one there? Thank you. And they're just actually little readings over uh, for Good Friday, but you could actually use them over this time. And so if you want to take one, you're welcome to. And I'm just going to take a couple of them and speak about them between now and Easter. But uh, they've got a a page and they take different things like forgiveness and tears and burdens and just the, the journey to the cross, basically. And it has a reading with it and it might be good to reflect on it. And good to, you know, just think about it. So they're at the back and you're welcome to uh, help yourself. If you want to give one to a friend, feel free. But do you know the story? And the story is, you know, of they, th- these disciples, um, they're beginning to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is going to go and die. And I think they feel betrayed by that. I think they feel let down. They go, now what do we do? I'm going to be disciplined because I could go down many rabbit holes here. And we have that famous thing of Peter saying, you know, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter's, you can trust me, God, I'm your man. Have you ever made a promise to God and then you've broken it within a couple of hours? Or you've made resolutions and within a few days that's over and you, you beat yourself up and go, I can't do this. And somebody says, well, if you had a little bit more faith, you would. And Peter, everything in him wanted to say yes and everything in him said yes. But his yes was still not enough. Because in his own strength, he couldn't follow through. We've seen it in the news recently with that horrific um, gun, gunning down of, of students in a school and then the, the security guard didn't go in. And so everybody's thinking, he's just chicken, he, wasn't, he didn't do it. You know, we, we don't know the detail, but you can imagine that's the thought. And then other people saying, well, I'll just run in. And you go, well, you don't know what you do until you're there. You might be 
You might have memories of things that you've done in your life and you go, I didn't think I'd ever do that. I thought I was better than that. Of course, Satan takes those things and he holds you to them until you learn to say, get behind me. I'm forgiven, it's over. Because what we're talking about today is failure and fear with Jesus. It's a deep topic, but it's also fear, is our predo- fear and anxiety is the predominant mood of our culture. So you try and keep away from it, or you try and medicate it, or you try and do something to stop it. And I, I was actually very moved in my preparation for today. Um, as I go through this, I hope you are, um, and it helps you. Because I'm really focusing on the incredible love of God in the midst of so much betrayal. And Peter is saying, I'll I'll never leave you. And all the disciples agreed with him. It said so. All the other disciples said the same. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. The things we so want are often so hard to live out in consistency. And what do you do when you're in these situations where your best isn't good enough? And when you're faced with things that you can't control and circumstances that are reeling out of control, whether it's like John Mark with cancer and you're facing your own death. And I said to him, would you have believed you'd be lying here facing death and feeling as peaceful? He said, no. See, God turns up when we need it. So he gives us what we need there, but sometimes we have to believe that's going to be delivered because from this point I can't see how I will cope. And with the disciples and Jesus were going into a time where, they, where everything was out of control. Everything was going down a hill. It was going black. It wasn't going into the light. It wasn't all the promises and all the hopes and all the, 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 the expectations seemed to be turned upside down. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives as well. And you go, well, God can't be here. And he says, well, in this world you will have trouble and I am here. How am I here? Is the, I was reading a commentary, you know, just a comment of, P- of Peter when he goes into the courtyard after this that we're looking at today. And, he go, and we know that, you know, he said, I'll never leave you. And then a, a little girl comes up and says, you'll betray me. And somebody else comes up and he denies him three times and, 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 and swears and, and says, I don't know this guy. But the comment that made was, you know, Peter was so torn and he was trying so hard that the first time he betrayed Jesus, he didn't run away. He, did, he was still in the courtyard. He was kind of trying to stay with Jesus, terrified. And three times he was challenged and three times he denied Jesus, but he still stayed because he was battling until the, the rooster crowed and he remembered the promise and he, then he just saw his failure and he ran. He couldn't face it as he looked at Jesus. Because Jesus was doing this very opposite of Peter. He was facing it and he wasn't running. And so in Gethsemane, this garden, if you go to Jerusalem and you go through uh, David's citadel, um, you go down a little valley called the Kidron Valley and then you see the Mount of Olives. Um, It's not a very deep valley and it's not very far away. It's only about a 15-minute walk into the Gethsemane Garden, the the Mount of Olives. And... uh, when you look at Gethsemane, you go, what's going on there? Because it's one of the greatest battles, if not the greatest battle that's ever been fought in human history. There's a battle spiritually going on and there's a battle physically going on. You've heard it said, um, 
When God created, where did he create? He created in the garden. He created in Eden. And in Eden, he put on trees the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, and in that garden was the serpent. The serpent was the one who came to Adam and Eve who had been created. You know, Adam from dust and Eve from, from Adam and was created and God used to walk in the garden with them and they used to, they had complete unity and complete joy and fellowship until the serpent said, God doesn't really mean this, he's trying to steal things from you and they began to have doubt and then they expressed their free will through choosing to eat of a fruit that they were told not to eat of because they had no, they had no clue about the consequences and once they knew what the consequences were, it was too late and God said, you have to leave. Not because God doesn't love. It's just the nature of God is perfect. And so as soon as rebellion comes, no matter even if it's an innocent or silly action that leads to separation and the entrance of sin into a life, if that person was to enter into the presence of God, they would be annihilated. They cannot coexist. So it's not about God saying, oh, go away from me, you naughty. He's saying, now we cannot actually walk in the garden together because you're defiled. And my nature is I will destroy you. So what do I do now with this thing of I love you with a passion but my justice also demands that you can't be with me. And so the broken world begins to flow out of people who cannot actually walk in gardens with God because his presence would kill them. But his love is also saying, you know, it's like looking at the person you love through a bubble and you can't touch, you can just put hands on the glass and he's going, I want restoration with my children. And the longer they stay away from me, the less they remember me and the less they know me and the less they realize who I am and the less they think of my love because they're being actually exposed to lies that keep saying, I put them there, I did this and I did that and it's so far from who I am. That's the story of Christian history and and God's history with human beings until God so loves the world, he sends his son Jesus to actually enter into that realm so that they could be reconciled to him. And that's what's beginning to happen in Gethsemane. Jesus takes his disciples, they come, they, they, and he says to all of them, sit here. Then he takes Peter, James, and John, and he, and he takes them a little further, and he says, watch with me. And I'd never seen this before. But I think what happens is, as he's coming into Gethsemane with his disciples, and then he has Peter, James, and John, he begins to enter into judgment. He begins to enter into taking on himself the character and the nature of the broken world for the first time in eternity, for the first time in his life, which is never ending. He's never, ever been here before. And he has Peter, James and John there and he's, already, he's going to say to them, the flesh is willing, but the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what's, get, what's beginning to happen is that his spirit's beginning to die down and his flesh is beginning to be the only thing he has because he's standing there for you and me. And he goes and he prays and he says, you know, if you can take this cup from me. But even as he's praying, something's changing because he's normally prayed and he's got this open heaven from, with a human capacity but with God his Father. And in the garden of Gethsemane, the serpent is present. It's always present where battles are. And God the Father and the Holy Spirit are also present. 
And Jesus is coming in and he's coming up. Let's just visualize that God the Father and the Holy Spirit are standing here. And Jesus is coming up to them. And he's kneeling down and he's saying, if you can take this cup from me. But as he's praying, the silence is getting deeper and deeper. Because the sin of the world is, is beginning to come upon him. Because he's not in the Garden of Eden walking with his father. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane walking with his disciples. And his disciples are polluted. And they're representative of the whole of humanity. And he goes back to them and he says, can you, you not watch with me? And they're falling asleep. It's an interesting thing here that I noticed. You know, we talk about, well, if I was in the presence of Jesus, I'd be wide awake. You remember when they went up the mountain, the transfiguration? The same three. If you read on Luke chapter 8, I think it is, they go up the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. And you read, <laughs> Peter's eyes were heavy. He was going to sleep again. And then when he woke up, he said, let's build them compartments and they can live there. And you go, and, and it says in the scriptures, Peter didn't know what he was saying. It's so cool. The kind of, Peter probably just goes, I wish they hadn't written that. And Jesus says, no, it had to be there because there are lots of people like you who are going to be encouraged by that. But what I noticed was, you know, sleepy on the Mount of Transfiguration, sleepy in Gethsemane, what if one of the battles into the presence of God is battling through sleepiness. Like when you feel weary, when you feel distracted, when you feel lethargic, whether it's in worship or something else, what if that's actually just, just push through that and there'll be something beyond that is amazing? What if sleepiness and weariness is the enemy actually trying to cause you to not step into what, you, what is yours? So in Gethsemane, these guys are sleeping because Satan is present. And he's saying, and he's, Satan is present, the disciples are betraying Jesus by falling asleep when he most needs them as a man. And for the first time in his life, his Father and the Holy Spirit are standing there and they're not responding. Have you ever, I don't think we're very good at this, have you ever not helped somebody that you love because it wasn't the right time to? It's, it, this is another detour, but I think we need to think about how we help one another. Sometimes it's not God's will to rescue someone. I believe personally that we rescue too many people who God is actually trying to lead somewhere. And so we actually sabotage the very thing that we, we, we might be praying for, they might be praying for, but because we can't handle their pain, we actually try and rescue them. And the hardest thing, I believe, for, for God so loving the world, might have been in Gethsemane as well as at Calgary, but where he can't respond to the son he loves. Because his son is kind of morphing into fallen humanity that has to be judged. His son, the second Adam, is taking upon himself the sins of the world. So he and the Holy Spirit withdraw as his son begins to go, please take this cup from me. If I was acting this out, I might, on the second time, have him on his knees weeping and have him taking each one of us by the hand 
and we and standing in front of the Father, please take this cup from me, and he's holding my hand. And Satan's saying, if you let go of John, you can be free. If you let go of Bill, you can be free. If you let go, name your name. If you don't bring them with you, you can walk out of here free. And Jesus' response is, they don't have a hope in hell. You were in the garden. And Jesus, when he was saying, let this cup be taken from me, was wrestling with, do I follow through on this? But as a man, my flesh is saying, you must be mad. And I'm terrified. I don't want to face crucifixion. It hurts. I don't want to do this. There's nothing in it for me. But he's, he doesn't. He keeps, while his disciples were sleeping, and Satan says, why would you give your life for a bunch of snoring men who haven't even got the guts to stay awake with you? And you go, well, how much does God love? And he says, well, what happens if you say, the, most, the person you most despise in the world, he, Jesus takes the hand and says, I will not leave Gethsemane without him or her. And so God, Luke tells us that God sends an angel to comfort him as he's sweating tears and blood. He says God sends an angel to strengthen him because God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit kind of are, are, are restricted by the judgment. But God's love is such that an angel comes and, and strengthens him in some way. And Jesus has the resolve to go, no, I'm going to go through with this. And so the third time he goes back to his disciples and he says, can't you wait, but come. My betrayer is here. It is Judas, but actually it's all of us. That Jesus so loved the world and Jesus was so passionately given to going to the cross that he actually fought for us while we were sleeping, while we weren't aware, while we hadn't got a clue that we even needed rescuing. That's what was happening in Gethsemane. It was a monumental battle. And what do you also see in in, you know, in Hebrews it says that uh, it describes Jesus in Gethsemane as reverent submission. He's, he's going through this process and I want to just highlight that as well, that when Jesus comes into Gethsemane and he goes and he prays three times and he wrestles, it's a process of working out what God is doing, who he is, how he's going to, to move through this. And I just want to encourage us. Life is a process. Uh, everything is a process. Sometimes we don't allow each other the processes. If you want to be authentic, you have to go through process, which means whatever it means. Does that make sense? Too often we're guilted into trying to be something we're not instead of actually saying, what's the next question? What's the next step? Is there room and safety here for me to say, I don't believe right now. And somebody else to say, okay, that's cool. I can believe for you. Let's go from there. But if I just harass you with, this is what you should do, and this is spiritual, hallelujah, Jesus, I've just taken away the process for you. And so because I'm not patient to walk with you, I give you the solution that you haven't found yet, rather than sharing the direction. Is, am I making sense? It's really, really, really important because the disciples were in process from the day they were called from the shores of Galilee to Gethsemane and beyond. They were in process. All of those real life things where they saw themselves, their brokenness, yes, we're going, no, we're going, we've done miracles, oh my, we're terrified, was all part of what was put into the mix until after the resurrection, they were ready. 
And they still have process after that. That's what makes it authentic and real. And it's always but God. How can God show himself here to be faithful? How can he show himself here to be faithful? And what, is it, what didn't Jesus do? He's so not me. Thank God. I'm praying God take this cup from me. Can't you guys even stay awake? He doesn't berate them. He kind of just goes, hey guys, can't you wake up? And then he goes back because in a sense he probably realizes, no, they can't. What's it like for Jesus to wrestle for you and for me on our worst days when we're sleeping? Because Satan comes in and says, you don't deserve anything because you slept. And you go, oh, you know, I, 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 I agree, I don't. I'm not good enough. If I was more spiritual, I would have prayed. If I actually had more courage, I would have stayed with Jesus. If I kept my word, I would have at least supported him. I'm as bad as Judas. I said one thing and I did the other. And what happens with that kind of language is I move further and further away. And I move further and further into works, into perfectionism, into deeds and earning something. And God says, I went through Gethsemane precisely because you don't have the strength without my spirit to enable you to become extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. So in Gethsemane, well in Eden, what's the first question? The first question is God saying to Adam, where are you? Not just physically, but spiritually. Where are you? After he's eaten, they've eaten other fruit. Jesus comes into Gethsemane and by the third time he's saying to his father, where are you? And finally on the cross he says, why did you abandon me? Because he's in a place where God has withdrawn and he's gone to that place which is hell on earth and then in hell so that we never have to be there. Not to the level that he experienced. Anything you've experienced and I've experienced, whether it's despair or depression or abandonment, is only a partial view of what the full thing must be like. But Jesus went and did everything and took upon himself, as the cliche says, but it's true, everything that we deserved, he took upon himself so that we could actually take upon ourselves everything that he deserved. It's a mystery. But over this time of Easter and the crucifixion, we get to look at it again and to consider it and go, God so loved the world that he sent his son for me. And so, while it's a sombering word, it's also a beautiful word. Because the bottom line is nothing we bring today here disqualifies us. He just goes, no problem. No problem. No problem. No problem. In fact, the more you try and puff yourself up and say, God's quite lucky to have me, actually. I stayed awake. All he will do is increase the light and say, you did then, but let me show you the rest. And none of us will be left standing after the searchlight of his truth is over our lives. None of us. And that's not to, that's not to humiliate us. It's just to say, without me, you face death because of choices, because of things you did, because of things you didn't do. But there is no condemnation in Jesus. That's why we need a saviour. And so our battle is which voice do we listen to? And because of Jesus, 
we are given the opportunity to listen to his promises. We're going to talk about his promises next week in the family service. I wanted to read you this um, quote. And it's about the process because I think process is so important. And it says this, Expressing your feelings honestly in troubled times is not a sign of weakness, but of humanity and humility. Because he's talking about Jesus saying, Father, I don't want to do this. Let this cup come from me. Because again, if I was writing the script, I might go, Jesus, in all his glory and all his strength, said, okay, Dad, let's go. Stoic, doesn't feel fear, knows where he's going, filled with the Spirit, not going to be afraid of anything, not Satan, Satan is defeated. But as a man who is tempted in every way like we are, but did not submit to it, he experiences what we experience. And my passion in the Christian life and for those who are being discipled in the Christian life is that your feelings and your everything in you is part of the journey. If you try and spiritualize it, you just end up with hypocrisy and you end up with half-truths and you ha- end up with half-realities. But if you allow the process which takes courage and guts, then things change forever. In Gethsemane, still in line, Jesus experiences the full range of human emotions and he shares them with his friends in a fully human way. For us, expressing sadness and fear allows us to set aside our desire to be in control. It is also an invitation to let others love us. Jesus feels the need to pray three times in Gethsemane before he reaches a sense of peace. Too often we feel obliged to move immediately into yet your will, not mine, before we have lingered with our feelings and expressed them to God. Or we feel guilty for asking for what we want or what we wish to be relieved of as if such prayers were merely complaints. But the honest expression of painful emotions is a process that even Jesus went through. But Jesus does not end his prayer by acknowledging his feelings. This is important. He ends by trusting in God, by conforming conforming his will to the Father's even in a dark time. The answer to the question of how can I go on is by being in relationship with Abba. And that's it. Ultimately, whatever my Gethsemane is, what, which is not the same as this one, whatever we go through, what enabled Jesus ultimately to endure was he knew the love of the Father, even when the love of the Father wasn't feel He wasn't feeling it. He knew enough of it so that when the love of the Father wasn't present in his feelings because of the circumstances, he trusted that. That's called faith. So, read the story of Gethsemane again and be encouraged. The only person the snake can talk to is the dead person in us. The way Satan speaks is always accusing, it's always negative, it's always attacking us, it's always shame, it's always disbelief and unbelief and lies. The way the Spirit of God speaks is always love, affirmation, hope. You are my much-loved son. You are my much-loved daughter. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will never leave you as orphans. Because of what Jesus did in Gethsemane, because of what he did through the cross and the resurrection, he says, you will never have to go through what Jesus did at Gethsemane. Because I will never abandon you. Like I abandoned him, because I abandoned him on your behalf. What he did on the cross, what he did from Gethsemane through to the cross and three days in hell, was for you not to have to go through that. So nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. John 1 John 4 says, the, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So wherever you are in the process, be encouraged to take the next step. 
and and as we as we finish this, it's also important to to acknowledge and realize that Jesus was not alone in the garden. He had company, even if they slept. They were his friends. And his friends went with him. John stayed with him right through, as did his mother. But everyone needs company. Everyone. God is not enough for any human being on earth. He said so himself. He said, it's not good for you to be alone, so here's Eve. Every human being needs friends. And so our call is, what kind of a friend am I and what kind of friends do I have? Because I need them. I need to be a friend and I also need friends, particularly in the Gethsemane moment. Let's stand. Let's bring to God our fears. Let's, uh, we, we spoke about it earlier in worship, but let's just, uh, Father, we know that your love casts out fear. And there may be circumstances in our lives right now that make us feel overwhelmed. And we've kind of either fallen asleep in resignation or we've just let our circumstances overwhelm us. So Father, we speak against overwhelming circumstances in your name and we break the lies that come out of them over us in the name of Jesus. We break the lies that Satan speaks to us about who we are or who others are or what we're not or what has happened. We break it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you We thank you, we thank you, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you took our hand and you wouldn't let us go in Gethsemane. That you identified with us. You took the price of our sin, we took the price of our rebellion, we took the price of our sleepiness and you didn't let that stop you from going the full way to the cross so that we would know forgiveness at any time and any place in the name of Jesus. So over all that circumstance and over all the lies, speak the truth. God is love. God is with me. He's for me. He's not against me. He is faithful. And even if I cannot see anything today, Jesus, will you reveal yourself again to us, individually and corporately? Your presence is presence because of your promises. You will never leave us or forsake us. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. We confess to you our weakness. We confess to you just how easily we fall asleep, how easily we get discouraged, how easily we get distracted. We thank you for the message of Gethsemane that you are faithful. So thank you that we don't have to do another hour, another five minutes in a place of abandonment or loneliness because you are with us. So receive the presence of the Lord. Receive his love for you. Receive that he is enough for now. Thank you for friendships. Thank you for people around us. Forgive us where we fail one another. And Lord, we ask you to raise up in us deeper, deeper friendships that we can be with one another in Gethsemane, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and everywhere in between. That not only are you faithful, but we are faithful. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. Ask God to give you a new revelation of his love. To know Jesus is to say, Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. But I ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I ask you to come into my life 
and give me a revelation of who I'm meant to be with you. You can pray that if you've never prayed that. If you've never said to Jesus, I want to be your friend, I never realized what you did for me. And I'm just beginning to realize how much I need you. Then just tell him, God, I hardly know you, but I know there's something empty inside me and I ask you to come in and fill it. And then I'm going to ask other people to help me make sense of what I've just done. Or maybe it's got routine and boring and I'm used to the story. And God wants to awaken in us a life this morning that says, I want that passion to return, the first love. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I'm not disappointed in you. As Graham Cook says, I've never been disillusioned about you because I never had any illusions about you. I've always known you. And I've always loved you. And I've always been jealous for you. I was thinking of you in Gethsemane. I was thinking, you don't have a hope in hell without me. So here I am for you.